Welcome to Smartest History. All right, enough with the echo and fanfare. You're here for history, right? And not that boring crap you learned in high school. This stuff's actually interesting. Like things you've never heard about the Civil War, Cleopatra, automobiles, Monopoly, the Black Plague, and more. Fascinating stories, interesting topics, and some downright weird facts from the past. It's a new twist on some stories you may know, and an interesting look at some things you may have never heard. So, grab a beer, kick back, and enjoy. Here's your host, Smarticus. Welcome to Smarticus Tells History, the podcast where we dive deep into the fascinating stories of the past. I would like to take this time and announce that I have two new changes to the show. The first thing is now I have a regular co-host, Phoenix. Hello. The second thing is, is that we are now going to start the show off with some kind of food or drink item that relates to the show. Now, this week, I thought we would start off with Tennessee's state dessert, which also happens to be one of my favorite desserts, banana pudding. Although the banana pudding itself doesn't show up in history until 1921, a home cook by the name of Laura Curley from Bloomington, Illinois, as I said, it is Tennessee's state dessert, which is where our story takes place today. So I have my pudding here, and so does Phoenix. Yes. We did home make these. We didn't just go out and buy them. Um, and uh, she's yeah, she's got crackers with hers. I I did not put crackers in mine. Um, and banana pudding is actually one of my favorite desserts. I honestly haven't had banana pudding in forever. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> as we know, I I had some last week because we tried this, tried and failed. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> it's a work in progress. It, yeah, it's a work in progress. Um, so, but that is one of our um, our first dessert to start off with, and uh, or you know they're they're not always going to be desserts either. You know they might be. Um, I'm looking forward to making the bread. Yeah, we got some uh, some kind of uh, a bread made for next weekend or for next week, um, and then uh, from there on, you know, we'll find stories and snacks that uh, or food items and snacks that relate to those stories so yeah so the, again this week we did banana pudding i said i don't know how many times i'm gonna say banana pudding in this um i should be done now and then <laughs> we will go forward with the new snacks and food items as they relate to each new episode so as we said this week's episode starts in tennessee um, and we will be discussing the Great Locomotive Chase, which is an incredible true story of bravery and adventure during the American Civil War. So, on April 12, 1862, a group of Union soldiers led by James J. Andrews commandeered a locomotive called The General in an attempt to disrupt Confederate supply lines. What followed was a very thrilling chase through the heart of the South as Andrews and his men raced to escape the pursuing Confederate forces. So join us as we explore the events leading up to the great locomotive chase, the daring actions of Andrews and his men, and the dramatic conclusion that earned them a place in the annals of American history. So sit back, relax, and let's travel back in time to the era of steam-powered locomotives and heroic deeds. This is Smarticus Tells History, and this is the story of the great locomotive chase. On March 25th, 1863, Jacob Wilson Parrott, was awarded the first ever Medal of Honor issued by the United States. A private from the 33rd Ohio Volunteer Infantry's Company K 
Parrott was just 18 years old when he was asked, along with 25 other men, to steal a train. The resulting series of events would go on to earn a name that sounds like the title of some spaghetti western, The Great Locomotive Chase. In early 1862, Brigadier General Ormsby Mitchell was deep into central Tennessee commanding Union troops. He had designs to advance on Huntsville, Alabama before heading to Chattanooga. Chattanooga, Tennessee was a vital hub of transportation for the Confederate Army, and severing its rail connections could substantially shift the power in the war. But Mitchell lacked sufficient men to block any counterattacks from the South, mainly Atlanta, Georgia, a Confederate stronghold. The Western and Atlantic Railroad allowed for direct access from Atlanta to Chattanooga, meaning Mitchell's troops could be surrounded quickly. Mitchell was eager to make a name for himself, and the West Pointer had pleaded with Washington at Fort Sumter. In God's name, give me something to do! But so far, he had done little of note. Frustrated and stumped, Mitchell turned to the advice of a civilian scout, James J. Andrews. James J. Andrews is one of the Civil War's most shadowy figures. Historians are not even confident that Andrews was his real name, but agree that he was most likely, perhaps, from Virginia. He first stepped into the pages of American history when he appeared in Flemingsburg, Kentucky in 1859. He was painting houses and clerking at a local hotel when war broke out. Given its position in the nation, Kentucky was a deeply divided state, and the opposing sides fought for its citizens' loyalty. Andrews took advantage of this deep divide by spending the winter of 1861 to 1862 smuggling medicine to the Confederacy and returning with intelligence for the Union command. During his time spent running back and forth, Andrews developed a decent sense of the value of the railroad and the Confederacy strategy. He began formulating ideas about sabotaging the rails and was welcomed warmly in Ormsby's Mitchell's circle. Confederate prospects in the Western theater at this point in the Civil War were bleak. The Union held Kentucky while other troops were advancing down the Mississippi. Meanwhile, Grant's troops were pushing south along the Tennessee River. There was also a federal naval force sitting at the mouth of the Mississippi, threatening New Orleans. Losing Chattanooga could be a linchpin to securing victory for the Union. The railroads of the South were essentially one long line from Atlanta, a major munitions center, to Chattanooga, tying into a line from Lynchburg, Virginia, Memphis, and Charleston. Andrew suggested that Mitchell allow him to lead a raid to sever the rail connection between Atlanta and Chattanooga. He could lead a force south and seize a locomotive, he said, and then destroy the tracks and bridges behind them as they returned north. My grandfather, during the war, like after the war, he met this poor guy who, his name was Aloysius Percival Humperdinck III. Jesus. No joke. And my grandfather said, so what do you plan on doing after you, you know, now that you're getting out of the army? And the guy said, I'm going to go change this damn name. Yeah, that'd be my first move. Aloysius. Mitchell approved the scheme and directed Andrews to select men from Colonel Joshua W. Sills' brigade for the mission. He did so by carefully selecting anyone with knowledge of railroads among the volunteers. His 23 volunteers ranged in age from 18 to 32. It included one civilian, William Campbell, who had joined his friends when a soldier from Ohio backed out. They were assisted by three engineers, William Knight, Wilson Brown, and John Wilson. Andrews directed everyone to meet in Marietta, Georgia at midnight on April 10th. 
The motley crew of men traveled through Confederate lines in small groups disguised in civilian attire under the cover story of looking for a Confederate unit. Unit. Blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, it reminds me so much. So my niece uh, or my nephew's daughter. Well, she's my niece. You know, my nephew's daughter. Um, she likes, uh, she loves Count Dracula. Oh, of or, course. Uh, um, uh, the Hotel Transylvania show, yes, you know? Yes, Hotel Transylvania. Uh, Hotel Transylvania, yes. yeah. Uh, and so, so she'll, she'll go around and go, blah, 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 <laughs> all the time. And it's, that's so cute. Uh, that's, so that's what it reminded me of, yeah. We literally just watched the first two movies. Did you? Two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. I love those movies. They're, They're so funny. fun. Oh, Adam yeah. Sandler, what are you going to do? Yeah. Okay. The motley crew of men traveled through Confederate lines in small groups disguised in civilian attire under the cover story of looking for a Confederate unit in which to enlist. It was not a pleasant journey. Their progress was hampered by steady, pelting rain that turned roads into quagmires. Giggity, 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 ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, ting, tang, walla, walla, bing, bang. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <sighs> That's that's why I chuckled afterwards because I was thinking about it. <laughs> uh, you know, you don't often get to use the word quagmire except yeah, for when yeah, in reference to that show. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> oh my gosh! All right, seven of the men were so tired of walking they braved boarding a Confederate troop train for a bit of respite. The timing was crucial to Andrew's plan. They needed to ride the stolen train through Chattanooga and then continue westward on the Memphis and Charleston line to meet Mitchell's division, which was pushing south to Huntsville before moving on to Chattanooga once the rail lines were severed. The rain forced Andrews to postpone his half of the plan by a day while he kept his fingers crossed that Mitchell was experiencing the same slowed pace he was. Unfortunately, as he and his men arrived in Chattanooga on Friday, April 11th, they learned the Confederate troops had already seized Huntsville. Mitchell was right on schedule while Andrews was falling behind. Andrews was also missing two men. Sam Llewellyn and James Smith had run into trouble and were forced to enlist in a rebel unit. Still, Andrews and the rest boarded their evening train without any suspicion and arrived in Marietta in time to get a decent night of sleep before things got hairy. Early the following day, Andrews gave his troops a final briefing. They would board the northbound morning train and, during the 23-minute breakfast stop at Big Shanty, Georgia, they would make their move. Andrews and the engineers, along with fireman Alf Wilson, would commandeer the engine while the others moved to one of the head cars and uncoupled it from the ones behind. If anyone interferes, Andrews said, shoot him, but don't fire unless you have to. The men boarded the train, which was comprised of a powerful wood-burning locomotive named General, followed by three empty boxcars, then a string of passenger cars. Andrews' men settled into the coaches, now another two members short as Martin Hawkins and John Porter had reached the depot as the train was already pulling away, their hotel porter having failed to wake them in time. Jerk. Yeah, what a jerk. Well, and can we just point out the 23-minute breakfast? Why 23? Yeah, that's an oddly specific, you know, time frame for breakfast. Now, I mean, I know they're military men and everything, but I just... I mean, I don't know. That's just... You're on a train. Right. Like, why would a train be serving a 23-minute breakfast? Right. Only. What happens if you get there twenty fourth minute? Right. You know, do you serve breakfast? No, you don't get coffee. Or, or if you're a little early, do you not get breakfast then? Right. Um, you know, you gotta wait. You know, I mean, I guess that happens now. You have to wait for the restaurants to open. 
So true. Or you um, can go make your own. Yeah, but yeah, or you can go make your own. But yeah, that's a good point. The twenty-three minutes—that is an oddly specific time. It's just weird. Maybe it's well. I mean, they are doing a heist, <laughs> and maybe they got everything timed out to the hey. <laughs> You plan for perfection and just hope that you can shoot for okay. Yeah. The train pulled into Big Shanty at 6.45 a.m. The passengers scooted off to Lacey's Hotel for breakfast, along with the conductor, William Fuller, engineer, Jeff Kane, and foreman, Anthony Murphy. As soon as they disappeared from sight, Andrews, Knight, Brown, and Wilson stepped onto the tracks, uncoupled the passenger cars, and helped their fellows aboard the General, and into the third boxcar. Knight threw the throttle, and the General pulled away from the depot as foreman Murphy looking up from his breakfast, shouted, Someone is moving your engine! The crew fled to the platform and Confederate sentries loosed a few shells at the rapidly moving engine. Deciding that the engine was likely stolen by a group of deserters, Fuller, Kane, and Murphy decided that it was their duty to capture them. Thus, the great locomotive chase was on. Assuming the men would be unfamiliar with train operation and would end up stuck soon, Fuller set out at a sprint behind the engine. Two and a half miles into his pursuit, he reached a track repair crew who informed him the engine had passed by, nabbed a crowbar, and continued. Aboard the General, Andrews and his men were moving as quickly as they could, pausing every so often to pry up tracks and cut wires. Fuller seized the repair crew's pole car and went back to collect Murphy and Kane and informed them the skilled group was likely no deserters. They took off on the pole car in hot pursuit until they reached the Itawa station. Once there, they hopped aboard a small switching engine named Yona and headed at full speed to Kingston, the first station along the line. Andrews had arrived in Kingston 45 minutes before the Confederate crew had commandeered the Yona, but was forced to wait as the southbound freight train moved through. The last car on the freight train bore a red flag indicating another unscheduled train was following. Andrews was forced to wait again, growing desperately anxious. Chattanooga was evacuating stores and rolling back stock because Mitchell's troops were advancing. This extra train arrived bearing the sinister red flag on its final car. It wasn't until 65 minutes after arriving in Kingston that Andrews could finally pull out of the station and continue. Four minutes later, the Yona pulled in, having made the 14-mile run from Etowah in 15 minutes. Unwilling to wait for the tracks to clear, Fuller and his men switched to the locomotive William R. Smith. Which has a full name... Uh, yeah, that's weird, yeah. I wonder what the R stood for. Although, it's not, I mean, it's not, we name ships, you know, well That's true. That's yeah. very true. So. Hmm. And that's always been since, well, even before this Yeah. Time, you know, before there were trains. We've that's always true. Done that, which is weird. <clears throat> okay. Unwilling to wait for the tracks to clear, Fuller and his men switched to the locomotive William R. Smith on the other side of the traffic jam. A few miles up the track, General had paused to cut telegraph lines and remove a rail. They heard the whistle of the William R. Smith and redoubled their efforts to speed on as quickly as possible, sure now that they were being pursued. Fuller spotted the damaged tracks and halted the William R. Smith to continue on foot until they met the southbound locomotive named Texas, which they commandeered. Meanwhile, Andrews and his men were attempting to burn the Ustanawala Bridge by uncoupling a boxcar and setting it on fire atop the bridge. But the heavy rain of the past few days had soaked the bridge so effectively that the fire didn't spread. Then they watched as the Texas arrived and pushed a boxcar off the bridge. Desperately, Andrew's men threw railroad ties on the tracks behind them and plowed on. But they were running out of fuel. 
they couldn't cut the telegraph line at Dalton quickly enough to stop Fuller from sending a message to Chattanooga, and Andrews directed his men to abandon the train just short of Ringgold. They jumped to the ground and scattered. Moving west toward the Union lines, the entire raiding party was captured by Confederate forces over the following days. The civilian members of Andrews' group were considered unlawful combatants and spies, while the whole group was charged with acts of unlawful belligerency. After a trial of Chattanooga, Mastermind Andrews was hanged in Atlanta on June 7th. Seven others were tried and hanged on June 18th. Eight of the remaining men successfully escaped. Those who remained were exchanged as prisoners of war on March 17, 1863. One may wonder if, in the moments preceding his execution, Andrews thought back to the beginning of their scheme, when his crew spotted a little locomotive named Yona, surrounded by a large work party as they were crossing the Itawa River. Knight had recommended destroying the engine and the bridge, but Andrews didn't want to start an unnecessary fight and ordered them to leave both alone. Other surviving members of the raid would say the one-day delay was all that stopped them from being successful. If Chattanooga had not been alerted to Mitchell's advance, the lines wouldn't have been clogged with the freighters that caused their delay in Kingston, and one less day of rain would have made the bridges easier to burn. Whether or not any of that could have resulted in success is unknown. After all, no one could have predicted Fuller would pursue them on foot for nearly three miles. That is, on foot, I mean, that is... Right? I thought the wow. same thing when I first started I mean, reading. That, I was is, like, that is very really? impressive. This man was in good shape. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty impressive, yeah. On March 25th, 1863, the six raiders who had been recaptured were awarded a newly approved medal for valor. Jacob Wilson Parrott, who had been beaten more than 100 times while held as a prisoner of war, became the first recipient of the Medal of Honor. Later, all but three raiders were presented with awards, save for Andrews and Campbell, who were not eligible as civilians. Today, the hijacked locomotive General is on display at the Southern Museum in Kennesaw, Georgia. The Texas, the final locomotive used to give chase, can be seen at the Atlanta History Center. I think that many would agree that they deserve this hard-earned rest. Thanks for listening to Smarticus Tells History. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review and make sure to subscribe. And be sure to follow the show at facebook.com slash History, or just click the link in the show description. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.